Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The legislature kicks off on Monday with Governor Brad Little's State of the State Address. And while we don't know the details of his speech, you can bet that tax cuts will be a big part of it. The question is whether lawmakers will be on the same page. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Senators Lori Den Hartog and Melissa Wintrow joined me to discuss their priorities for the upcoming legislative session. But first, on Friday, Governor Brad Little and legislative leaders addressed the Idaho Capitol Press Corps to give us an idea of what we might see during Monday's State of the State address and in coming weeks. The theme of their remarks, what to do with the state's $1.6 billion surplus. Um. Two years ago, I think, is we started doing a five-year budget forecast. <clears throat> so we, you know, we're we're plugging numbers into it. We know that these federal, whether it be CARES or ARPA or the infrastructure, uh, that those numbers are going to go down. So we're we're doing a five-year forecast, which uh, the state long should do, uh, and so uh, that's that's part of the way we do that. But we're. We will not be um, willy-nilly spending money. Uh, we're, we're anticipating that uh, that we're sure not going to increase this, uh, continue with this way, uh, way over our projection revenue going into the future. But we're going to have a new base because of all the all the new jobs, all the new wealth that's been created here. The governor didn't give many details, but expect him to focus heavily on education in his state of the state address. Uh, the state, uh, whether it's my executive agencies or the legislature, uh, to work with it, the same thing with cities and sewer and water as it is with schools and what the state board and the Department of Education does about our goal uh, to get more kids reading proficiently at the end of the third grade, to have kids college ready. And, you know, probably the most urgent is to make sure that any of the learning loss, some of it we will never make up, uh, but that we do the best we can to make up for the learning loss from the last two years. Both Governor Little and legislators acknowledged that a politically charged primary season will likely have some effects on this year's debates reapportionment they all have an impact and uh, on things that you go exactly why did that bill get introduced or that legislator do that well it might be relative to the new district line or what happens but I uh, this is not my first rodeo it's going to get in the way we saw it play out uh, um, on front row seats last year in the house and it causes me a lot of concern. Every hour we spend talking about some made-up social issue uh, that lacks support of data, facts, science, uh, that's done to play to a base, that's done to get clicks and donations, is an hour we do not spend 
on things that are really critical to Idaho's young families um, and their aging uh, and aging families. We're talking about housing affordability, we're talking about property taxes that are uh, out of control. We're talking about um, affordability of higher education and quality K through 12 education. The list goes on and on. Every hour we spend placating the far right in the house is an hour we do not spend getting real work done for Idaho families. Speaker Scott Bedke told reporters he would like to see the House present a tax relief package first thing in January instead of waiting until February or March like they do most years. As for details, we'll have to wait and see, but don't be surprised if the proposal doesn't include a grocery tax repeal. I think from the standpoint of uh, any tax relief uh, is going to be perceived by the public uh, in a good way. Uh, it's interesting that uh, some of the public is saying, no, I don't really want a tax relief. I'd rather see you put the money into roads and schools and do the deferred maintenance things that need to be done uh, to keep our state and our universities and colleges running properly. So that's going to be the debate as to how best to do that. Uh, one of the things that we seem to forget sometimes is no matter uh, what tax you call it, still the same people paying it. Uh, it's still the average citizen out there that pays the tax. Uh, you'll see some uh, discussions probably about, well, let's eliminate the grocery tax. Um, and, that, and that's a big number to do that. That sounds good, uh, but with the tax credits that go with it, uh, we're actually, I think, better off as Idaho citizens to have it and to get the credit. And we can increase the credit. We can do some things. But you have to remember, a lot of the people that come here to recreate <clears throat> that have second homes pay that grocery tax. That's the only tax they pay other than maybe a fuel tax when they buy some fuel. Uh, so that does help us as a state, and it's a big number. And if you take that away, uh, you're going to have to uh, replace the, the money some way. All of the, the rhetoric that we hear around this forgets the fact that Idaho has a refundable grocery tax credit. Most of their, uh, and, and uh, that negates the sales tax on food for, for most Idahoans to a large degree. Now we can raise that. If it's out of whack, that can be raised. <clears throat> but your cold hard numbers are this. You raise $2.6 billion uh, on sales tax statewide. Approximately 12% of that total comes from taxing food as defined by uh, food stamps. All right, so that's about $320 million less money that you're going to bring in. Uh, but you get to get rid of the credit system, and that, but that only costs about 170. So you're going to have $140 million of tax benefit coming from this change that is going to accrue to two demographics here, people that do not file income taxes and people that are from out of state. Now, I believe that our tax policy should always benefit hard-working, tax-paying Idahoans. In addition, if you're a an entity of local government here who relies on the revenue sharing from the general fund, the first 11.5% of that sales tax money goes through the distribution formula, and you just took $320 million out of that distribution stream. I do not disagree uh, with uh, the speaker or the pro tem uh, on the need to be careful 
with these unspent funds. They are not unlimited. And I do agree that there is a component of one-time money that should not be spent in an ongoing way. And the grocery tax cut would be an ongoing commitment of funds to that tax relief. However, um, the legislature has come very close. Uh, in fact, the legislature passed a grocery tax cut. Uh, it was vetoed by Governor Otter, and uh, Governor Little committed himself uh, when he ran for governor to um, um, grocery tax cut. Uh, nothing has really changed on that issue, uh, and it is the kind of, of tax relief that everybody gets, whether you're rich, poor, or everywhere in between. And uh, we have seen our income tax go up, started at 3%, we're now at 6 and um, there are people in Idaho who are struggling. They do not enjoy much in the way of income tax relief because they don't pay much in income taxes. And uh, this would be a way to help them. I understand that there's a cost involved, as, the, as uh, Senator Winder pointed out, but um, the, uh, the cost is well worth it in my estimation. <clears throat> The governor and lawmakers also addressed daycare staff shortages in the state, as well as a push to get full day kindergarten and whether this is the year the state will adopt it. I'd like to think that it is, but as you know, we can't speak for the full legislature. We're speaking as best we understand circumstances and and uh, try and relate that to you. But I think there's a, a good uh, effort going on between the House and the Senate and it started uh, during the last session. Uh, and so I think there's a very good possibility that uh, it could happen this year. I think it will happen. Uh, I think we were within a nanometer uh, in the last, uh, I'll call it the, the winter session that we had last year. Uh, I think we were very close and I think that we have some of the very best of our legislators working very hard on this issue. So I, I'm very optimistic. There is an effort uh, already going on between the House and the Senate to uh, bring forward uh, full-time uh, kindergarten, uh, but there are some districts in the state that already have it. There are some districts that don't even have the uh, space available to do it, so it can't just be something where you say we're going to have and you're going to have uh, uh, full-time kindergarten. Uh, we've given discretionary funds uh, to the districts to use. I think you'll see uh, proposals to give discretionary funds uh, to districts to uh, use for full day kindergarten. I think it's part of the whole daycare issue uh, that goes on out there. Uh, but the better we can prepare our uh, students uh, in the kindergarten level uh, to come into first, second, third grade, the better off we're gonna be. Uh, from the standpoint of uh, daycare, uh, as you know, the governor talked about that in, in his uh, responses to your questions, uh, that that probably would be something you'd uh, hear more detail about on uh, Monday. Uh, but I think there are uh, real reasons to look at daycare uh, and how do, we, uh, how do we provide that? How do we uh, help the public and the private sector actually provide that uh, service to their communities? Providing reliable, uh, reliable, affordable, and quality child care for working families is absolutely critical. When my wife and I, when we left the military, 
Uh, we had two young kids, we went back to school. The only reason we could go back to school and that we could focus on getting an education to better our lives was because we had affordable, reliable, quality childcare. And you'll hear that from everybody. And what happens when you don't? Uh, grandparents end up filling the void. Sometimes they work, that disrupts their work schedule. You have working families, their schedules get uh, disrupted when they can't uh, get affordable quality and reliable childcare. And what does that mean? That means it causes problems for the employers. This is a business issue. And our, our largest businesses, our small businesses, they're all talking about it. On Monday, January 10th, Idaho Public Television is airing Governor Little's State of the State Address live at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, noon Pacific. Immediately after the address, Idaho Reports will bring you live analysis and reactions. You can watch on air and on our YouTube and Facebook channels. Joining me to discuss the upcoming session is Senator Lori Den Hartog, Chair of the Senate Transportation Committee, and Senator Melissa Wintrow, member of the Joint Finance and Appropriations Committee. Um, Senator Den Hartog, I want to start with you. What are you hoping to see in the State of the State Address on Monday? Well, I think the governor gave us a great preview today of what we're going to see on Monday. I think we're going to see significant investments uh, again into transportation infrastructure, and I'm really excited about that, uh, even with the great work from the package that we passed last year with uh, bipartisan support. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, uh, particularly we did a lot of work last year on new uh, new road construction uh, this year. I think we're going to see a focus on maintenance and bridge repair, which I think is really exciting. Outside of your purview on the Transportation Committee, are there any things that you're really going to be watching for? Uh, certainly all the different uh, tax policy proposals that we'll see coming from our colleagues in the House and we'll see what they come up with. Um, I know there's been a lot of conversation back and forth between the House and the Senate. Uh, those uh, pieces of legislation originate in the House Revenue and Taxation Committee, um, but obviously we like to be involved and know what's going on uh, before it gets over to the Senate. So I think we'll see uh, some additional tax relief um, as a way to use uh, the large surplus that we have coming into this legislative session. Senator Wintrow, I love your thoughts on that surplus. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you know, honestly, I'm not a part of the Appropriations Committee anymore. I was in the House for four years and learned a ton, and I do miss it. I really apologize about that. No I worries. Thought, okay, yeah, well. I'm a health and welfare, transportation, and junior rules, so no worries. But I wanted people to know that. I'm imposter syndrome. <laughs> but you know, the things that I'm really looking forward to are some of the things that the governor did address. And first and foremost, education and full day kindergarten. We know that uh, if we have a full day kindergarten, that not only helps people get to work, but it helps kids in literacy. And I actually visited with the Boise School District uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were sharing some really great uh, data and research they've done on folks, on kids that have gone half day and full day, and also sharing anecdotal information from teachers. So full day kindergarten, and and I hope early learning, I would love that. Um, and I think just like the uh, what we've heard over and over is property tax relief, real property tax relief. And I'd like to see us get back to that homeowner's exemption and really get it to where it should be at this point. Uh, we could do a lot better there and fix a circuit breaker because we did kick some folks off of that. I, I think inadvertently. So I think education, property tax, infrastructure for sure. Um, and then I'd also like to see us look at wages, especially for our public employees, because with the rising home prices, the population growth, you know, folks are really struggling just, you know, 
stay, you know, keep their kids in school and, and, and keep their homes. So we, we've got to do something there. And, and for folks who aren't familiar with the circuit breaker, the term circuit breaker, yeah. can, can you explain that a little bit and why it, so many people have been having issues lately? Yeah, you know, that's the property tax relief program that folks can apply for if they're 65 and over, a veteran, or disabled. And um, we have that there because as folks get older and they do what they were supposed to do, you know, buy their house, pay it off, and want to live and die in that home, um, that as uh, property values and, and those kind of things fluctuate with property tax, we want to make sure that they can stay in their homes. And that's just good policy and practice for so many folks. So what happened, I think, in that last bill was um, when we set that median uh, uh, home price, that basically it changed who could apply in that in that number, and so I think it was about 4,000 folks that probably weren't able to do just to apply to it, and that's that's a problem. I want to say it was like 85% of the applicants of 26,000 folks are 65 and over. Um, they're elderly, so um, yeah. I think on the property tax, it's. It's always an interesting debate because the state doesn't have very many levers to pull on property tax. Um, property taxes are leveled at the, you know, levied at the <coughs> local level, um, and so it's not, you know, if you look at your property tax bill, none of that, none of that revenue, none of that tax revenue comes to the state. And so there's very few levers that we have to pull from a policy perspective at the state. Um, really, it has a lot to do with the rates, um, you know, for your local fire district, your school district, your city, your county, um, the Mosquito Abatement District. I mean, look at the long list on your property taxes, and I think that that tells a story there too. So there's just a few things that we can do, and that's usually what's part of the conversation when we come into session. And some of that is the homeowners exemption, the circuit breaker, um, and some of these other things. So I think this year, more than any other, I'm looking forward to some unique proposals about how the state can impact um, making property taxes. Um, so they're not such an issue for folks like you're talking about, because that's what I hear from constituents too, is yeah. the, the folks who are on a fixed income and not able to afford the increasing property tax. You know, and I think too, what I hear over and over is property tax, not income tax relief. You know, I've actually had constituents email me, say, Melissa, uh, if, if I'm hearing about income tax, I don't need that. You know, my $50 rebate didn't really help me that much or whatever it was. But the other thing I do think could help with property taxes, the lever that we could pull, is that if the state were to fund to constitutional requirements, education, because a lot of those bonds and levies are about education. And if we really could, I think, do better in that realm, that may help with property taxes statewide. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that too. It, you know, Senator Wintrow mentioned full day kindergarten earlier. We heard that from the governor and legislative leaders today. Um, you're on the education committee. Where do you think that will fall this year? Is this the year? I think there's a lot of chatter around it. I do think if, if there was going to be a year, this would be it. I still think there is a lot of philosophical debate and conversation happening amongst our colleagues about whether or not um, funding all day kindergarten at the state level uh, is what's appropriate. So I still think there's a big philosophical debate that has to happen um, aside from aside from the cost. And, and those are both important, those are both important uh, components to that conversation. You know, last year we saw a proposal, um, well, it would have felt quite late in the normal session, but it was towards the end of March. Um, and it was a kindergarten bill that was touted as being uh, 
you know, for property tax relief because a lot of a lot of our local school districts, um, part of their levy, part or all of their levies mm -hmm. are going to pay for that additional half day of kindergarten because the state currently pays for the first half of kindergarten. And, you know, it's interesting, but not all districts have a local levy. So if we do something that addresses this local levy issue as a property tax relief, you know, out in my area, for instance, the Melba School District, they haven't, they haven't even tried to pass a local levy in over a decade. And so there's some equity issues that we would have to talk about. And that was addressed, I think, both in the governor's um, conference, press conference today and the leadership conference a little bit later. Yeah, you know, the thing I would add there, yeah, I, I totally appreciated that conversation, but I think we're smart people. We could figure out the equalization of that. But to me, um, I, w I would really encourage my colleagues to put the philosophic discussions on hold and just look at outcomes. The basic outcomes that we see of comparing kids in half day and full day, uh, extraordinarily different. And if we wanna get kids ready, at increase their literacy, which also correlates to a car incarceration later. Um, I think we just look at outcomes. We know this is a good thing. We know it helps kids learn. We know it gets them on the right track and we're gonna be uh, better prepared uh, for their learning process throughout the, the time. As well as, I think that full day kindergarten helps folks get out in the workforce too. Um, and that and that's a, a lever as far as reducing the childcare costs as well. So I think that, that pre-K and you know, early learning, kindergarten, uh, complement childcare issues, but also increase the learning. That's what we want. You know, you both bring up a really, really good point when we're talking about our surplus and education outcomes and philosophical differences on the role of government, especially going into an election year and a contentious primary. How much of the philosophy is going to be driving the conversations? I think a lot. I think, you know, it feels like every year it is. It's always a part of it. We're in we're in politics. Um, and so it's always it's always a part of it. People want to understand, you know, why we're voting a certain way, why we're mm -hmm. addressing an issue a particular way. And a lot of that has to do with someone's basic, you know, political foundation is do you believe the government should solve this problem or do you believe people and families should solve the problem? And there's, you know, there's always a tension there. And I think on the kindergarten issue, I think one, you know, it was in, I think an Idaho Ed News uh, article a couple months ago that, it, you know, the number th was thrown out that there was eight different, you know, pieces of legislation proposing kindergarten. I think we're gonna see a lot of unique proposals and I for one am interested to see, um, there's been a couple that I'm aware of, but I think, I think we also can think outside the box that it doesn't just have to be, um, you know, sending funding to school districts for all day kindergarten, that maybe there's some other unique things we could do that would get kids what they need for that early learning um, and still provide support for our families and provide support for our districts. So I'm excited for some of the unique proposals that I think are gonna, that I think we're gonna see. And you know, I would say in those proposals, I was at a superintendent's meeting and I try to go, we all try to go to those kind of meetings because we wanna hear from folks working in the trenches on the ground, what works and what doesn't. And so I think it's important to really, you know, consult with teachers, superintendents, parents, et cetera, to know what works. But I know when I ran for office my very first time in 2014, people were banging on me about full day kindergarten. Here we are still having that discussion. Uh, I think it's something that people want. I think it's something that's beneficial. It's proven in all the research. It's beneficial to kids. It increases literacy. It helps in critical thinking, all those things. I think we need to move. And, and listen to those folks in the, in the trenches that know how it works.
I'm also curious how much of this session is going to be a rehashing of the reconvened session in November. How much more discussion is there going to be about you know, vaccine mandates and whether employers can do them and whether or not the state government should have a more forceful role in pushing back against those federal mandates. So what are you hearing? I think we're I think we're going to see those issues come up again this session. I think that was certainly where we left things in the Senate. I know there were some you know, colleagues of ours in the House that were quite frustrated that we didn't end up acting on any of the pieces of legislation that they sent us. So I don't think that conversation is done. I think with the Supreme Court hearing arguments even just this morning, yeah. I think we know a little bit more and we'll see a little bit more lay of the land in terms of, you know, what the state, um, where the state should or shouldn't intervene. And so I think that's definitely going to be a part of the conversation. And I'm still hearing from constituents who are interested in us taking that issue up. Mm. And I know you, you were among the senators who was frustrated that the yes. Senate didn't do more, didn't take up more of the House bills. Uh, are, are you hearing from your fellow chairman that they are going to hear those proposals if they make their way to the Senate again? Yes, I believe so. And I think what we saw, and I think the pro tem even spoke to it this morning, because of what felt like the rush nature of that special session in November, um, we always learn things through the hearing process. That is without fail. That happens every single time. We think we have the perfect piece of legislation. We get to a hearing and we learn something we didn't know uh, before we before we came into that hearing. So I think we're going to see modifications to those proposals that we saw in November. I think we're going to see new proposals. I fully anticipate that. Mm. One of the other things we heard today, um, your colleague, Senator Burgoyne, pointed out that there are a lot of people who would like to see a repeal of the grocery tax. Not a lot of excitement from um, House Republican leaders and some Senate Republican leaders on that. What would you like to see when it comes to grocery tax? You know, I, I think that is an interesting issue because when I was on the Joint Finance and Appropriations Committee, that came up and I asked for a pretty significant fiscal analysis of that. And what I tried to explain to some of my constituents is that at its face value, you wonder about, well, should the government actually be taxing something that you actually need to live, right? I get the foundational discussion about that. However, I don't, I think there are better ways in repealing the whole tax and maybe doing grocery tax credit to get it where we want that would help the people that we want to help. And I think Senator Winder made a very good point in that uh, with the growing tourism in our state and people having homes, uh, second homes here, this is something that they can uh, be taxed on that goes back into our economy and helps the folks that have lived here their whole lives. So I don't, I don't, I'm not sold on the grocery tax. I get the philosophy, I get the background, but I think uh, there are, the tax credit is a better way to go. I've always been a supporter of repealing the sales tax on food. Um, we have seen multiple analyses showing that a lot of folks are better off with the credit that we currently provide. One of the things that that has always bothered me is for the folks that really need it the most is that it can make a difference right at that point of sale. Um, you know, having to wait a whole year to get that credit or, you know, sure. to get that, it's, it's a refundable credit, so even if you aren't paying income tax, you get it. Um, so for some folks, waiting a whole year to get that back from the state is really is really a burden. Um, and I think that's that's the balance I think we're all trying to strike as we debate this, because you know, for some folks, waiting that whole year doesn't make a difference. For some folks, they're better off with it. Um, but for those some of those folks who we are really trying to help, it really could make a difference right at that point of sale. You know, and I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, when you go stand in line at Whole Foods versus the Winco, 
um, you see who it might benefit more, and it's really the people in the Whole Foods section versus the Winco. And so that's where I get torn about it, right, is that I don't know that the benefit's going where it needs to. And then the huge loss, I think at that time it was 80 to $100 million that would be taken out of the coffers that could be used for education or other things that we really drastically need. So that was my hesitation as well. We're going to have to leave it there. Senator Melissa Wintrow, Senator Lori Denhartog, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for watching. We'll see you on Monday for our live State of the State coverage. presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.